And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode 384. We're the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin and a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. And here we are. Hope everybody had a great Halloween. We've had an absolutely gorgeous week, and it's really been hard to come inside because we're having a beautiful, I guess you could call it an Indian summer. I don't know if that's really the politically correct term now, but just a, a beautiful week that we've had of temperatures in the 60s and 70s and I've been wanting to be either outside or sitting by my window ever since uh just <laughs> it's been a fantastic week and it's it's interesting because you know in the last few days following the election there's just an entirely different feel to to everything and there just seems to be a real sense of optimism and 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 hope going on, uh, whereas things have been so um, so pent up for the last few years. And it does really seem like a, a real sea change is, is is happening, at least here. It's almost as though nature is is celebrating along with us, is all I can say. But anyway, before we get started with our review this week, I just wanted to read out some feedback we got. This came on the Facebook group, and this is from Manuel A. Carmona, who is one of our longtime listeners, one of our biggest fans, one of our most active people. So uh, thanks for uh, writing in, uh, Manuel. And he says, Tom, the latest episode of Radio Free Asgard featured one of my favorite Thor or any other character comic books ever. That was issue number three of volume three. Starting with the amazing art by Koi Powell alongside top-notch writing, this book is a delight to read from beginning to end, for me at least. That battle between Thor and Iron Man, as short as it was, was perfect in my humble opinion. I say that because it showed, like Thor clearly stated, the difference between a god of thunder and a man in a metal suit. We finally see what almost every interaction between Thor and his opponent should look like. Them trying to hurt him and Thor smacking them around. That's how powerful he is. Also, it showed how terrified Tony truly was. Even though he was trying to put up his best poker face, you could see a fear in his face that we rarely see in him. Besides the fighting, this book shows us how much Thor truly cares for humanity and how frustrated he was that no other hero didn't come to the rescue during that flooding. A thought that's crossed everyone that's read a comic book in their life when natural disasters strike. This book is easily in my top three when it comes to my favorites, as well as the story I go to when talking about superheroes to non-comic book readers to get them excited about comics. I haven't enjoyed a podcast this much in quite a while. Thanks. Well, thank you, Manuel, for writing in. We really do appreciate the feedback. And if anybody else wants to feedback, they certainly can by emailing us at radiofreeasgard at gmail.com and also by joining our Facebook group because, you know, you can write things there and I'll read it and I'll read it on the show. All right. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and move along to our review. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar, you behold. Wonder, the God of Thunder, mighty Thor. 
And this week we are looking at Thor Volume 3, number 4. This was an October issue, I believe that was 2007. Cover price, I believe, was $2.99. Cover art is by Oliver Koypel and Mark Morales. And the cover shows Thor kneeling in the foreground, hammer in his right hand, staring at the camera. Behind him we see some very familiar silhouettes kind of looming up behind him, and it's very recognizable as Volstagg, Fandral, and Hogan. So let me guess what happens in this issue. We open up to the splash page where we start at the Sooner Hotel. It's advertising that they have free TV. And uh, a ding-ding as somebody arrives at the front desk of the Sooner Hotel. And we have Mrs. Sooner. And uh, she comes out and says... Well, good morning. Can I help you? You are best sooner, we? Yes, your accent. You're French, aren't you? Oui, madame. Oh, well, that's nice. Are you looking for a room? If so, I'm afraid the decor is more found than French, but... It's all right. I am not staying. I am here to pick up one of your guests for a long trip we must make. Dr. Donald Blake, he is here, yes? Oh, yes, yes, he is here. Just a minute. And uh, she calls up to Blake's room. Dr. Blake, Beth at the front desk, how are you this morning? Oh, good. And the leg cramps? Good, good. I'm good, too, thank you. Bit warm, though, don't you think? Yes. Why am I? Oh, just to say there's a man here to see you. And, oh, he's expected. Good. Well, come on down when you're decent. And she hangs up and tells uh, the guy, he'll be right down. I just noticed your bag. Are you also a doctor? Oui, I am Dr. Ernst Leroux of Médecins Sans Frontières. Oh, that's nice. Is that a hospital? No, madame. The English for our organization is Doctors Without Borders. Our hospital is the human heart. We go where there is need, wherever it may take us. In our work, we sometimes find men who profit from the pain they inflict and who do not wish to see us intercede on behalf of those who are in need. All too often, these are men with guns. We go anyway. It is simply what we do, you see, when we are needed. And at that point, Blake has arrived from upstairs, and he's got a, a rucksack and uh, his, his uh, walking stick. He shows up, and, the, and of course, this doctor says, And you, Dr. Blake, you are most needed. And we have No Borders is the title of the story. J. Michael Straczynski is the writer. Oliver Koypel is the penciler. Mark Morales is the inker. Laura Martin is the colorist. Chris Iliopoulos is the letterer. Alejandro Arbona is the assistant editor. Warren Simons is the editor. Joe Quesada is the editor-in-chief. Dan Buckley is the publisher. And Lee Bermejo did the variant cover, which we do not have. Anyway, so... Uh, Dr. Don Blake standing here on the stairs, and we shift scenes in big way. We get a full-page uh, picture here of a village in Africa, and you can tell it's in Africa because it's dusty and hot and bare, and there are people who are very obviously African in the picture, culturally. And we see the, the um, there's a like a convoy of, of cars coming in marked, uh, you know, Doctors Without Borders, their logo and all that. And we get a little bit of narration basically going on for the next few pages. Five years of tribal warfare. 
over half a million dead according to the official reports. According to the unofficial reports, the death toll is nearly triple that number. A genocidal campaign of ethnic cleansing designed by the majority Nagare tribe to eliminate the rest. LaRue said the attacks come mainly at night, but now it seems it is always night. In another time, in another place, I thought it was enough to let the sick and wounded come to me in emergency rooms and wood-paneled examining rooms. Now I know better. That was then. This is now. And we see Blake, and this is apparently coming from his uh, inner monologue here. We see people who are being treated for uh, injuries and illness and you know, volunteers who are helping out everybody here. If gods could be nearly extinguished in war, barely called back from the brink of death by us, what chance do we have of extinction comes to us? Because if we fail, who will call us out of the shadows? And we shift to uh, Blake uh, relaxing after his shift, and he's sitting under a tree listening to music uh, through a pair of headphones. And uh, Dr. LaRue has, has found uh, Blake sitting here. He says, there you are. I thought I would see how your first day is going. Exhausting, says Blake. It never seems to stop. That is because it never does. Come, walk with me. It will be good for you. And he's given them the, the lowdown on what's been going on here in the, the area. Up until recently, the Nagare were content to do their killing with traditional tools, a machete, knife, and rifle. From what I am hearing now, they have graduated to mortars and shoulder-mounted rockets and bombs purchased illegally from other countries. Makes the whole murder thing much more efficient, you know. So is the UN going to intervene, says Blake. One day they say yes, another no. Some governments want to arm the other tribes. They say that is the solution. Give those who are being killed the power to do back in equal measure what is due to them. If not that, then what is the solution, says Blake. And you see you know, children gathering around them and uh, you know, grabbing onto them and walking with them and all this. Common sense, compassion, an act of God perhaps. But I have learned not to wait for such things. We do what we can. We heal who we can. The rest operates far, far above us. And there's a couple of uh, tough-looking guys. There's actually three of them. They're, it turns out they're the security guards, uh, I guess mercenaries or whatever. They're hired for security. Speaking of men with guns, these are three of our best guards. Rolf Müller from Berlin, Leo Kincaid from San Francisco, and Trevor Newley from London. You can tell which one is which because, <laughs> because they're very stereotypical. Uh, uh, Rolf Mueller from Berlin is this, this big, you know, but his square-headed, uh, big fat guy, uh, kind of typical uh, mercenary-looking type. And we have um, Leo Kincaid from San Francisco, who's kind of the muscle shirt, uh, very slightly gay look to him. And, uh, and then we have uh, Trevor, who is kind of this tall, skinny, very British-looking, uh, very British, you know, with a beret and, like, special forces or something. And uh, Blake is like, a pleasure. And uh, Rolf says, Speaking for all of us, which being German I tend to do anyway, it is good to meet you at last, Dr. Blake. They joined all at the same time two years ago, and despite coming from such different places... They all asked to be stationed at the same place, here to Mimi Mungu. 
They have been much looking forward to your arrival. Well, then I'm honored, says Blake. And as that happens, there's a scream. Um, and LaRue is like, good God. The narration continues. She's running out of the forest, not down the road. Why? If we'd seen her coming from further away, we'd be already there to help. Was it to avoid being seen on the way? Or was it to make sure that she got as close to the camp as possible? LaRue, wait, says Blake. LaRue is kind of running towards her, and uh, the, the woman is running uh, at them, basically. Why is she wearing a coat in this heat, thinks Blake. And, and you can see that she's crying, and uh, she's got something attached to her belt. And uh, Blake goes, LaRue, no, get back. It's a... Uh, and there, there's a giant boom, and um, the girl blows up. He's obviously a uh, suicide bomber. And the narration continues. The world kicks slantwise. I go with it. I hear shouts all around me, but they sound distant, miles away. Everything feels numb. But I have to warn them, because if there were enough Nagari around to bring her this close to the camp, rig her up, and then send her out, then we're going to have... Incoming, Blake shouts. Uh, we can see also see that he's um, kind of lost his cane here. We see the cane, cane go flying in the explosion. Anyway, uh, we then see a group of soldiers erupt from the underbrush, and they've all got machine guns, and uh, some of them are masked, but most of them just look kind of like, uh, you know, they've got little face masks or, uh, you know, glasses to, to di- kind of disguise who, who they are. And they come out firing, and... Uh, there's a badoom, and they're going brr, brr, with their machine guns. The security guards leap into action, and uh, the, the British guy's like, come on, let's go, and they're uh, fighting back. The guards were put in place for crowd control and the occasional incident. They weren't prepared for anything like this. But they go in anyway, despite being outnumbered and outgunned. Can't let that stand. Have to move despite the pain, and Blake is... Uh, Apparently has been hit by something, I don't know, bullet or rocks or whatever, an explosion, but he, he seems to be okay. And he's cr- kind of crawling through the grass and getting away from the immediate fighting. And he's uh, crawling towards his stick, which is kind of thrown about, uh, it looks about 12 feet, 20 feet away. And uh, while the fighting is going on, he's like, got to, got to. And an act of God, he said. And we see him reach towards the stick, and then we have a crack of a doom in a very Walt Simonson-esque font as we get a, uh, this, this must have been a vertical uh, page spread, uh, yeah, the sideways page. And we see Thor standing right in the middle of the battle. <laughs> um, the reaction is immediate. They pause, not certain of what to make of the sudden interloper. But to their eyes, he is just another outsider, a lone fighter. They are mistaken. And Thor starts to whip his hammer around, and it says he will demonstrate. And he whips the hammer at them with a womb, and knocks back all the, uh, the, the bad guy soldiers, and is just kind of, you can see the, uh, the hammer just uh, zigzagging through them, knocking them all down. And then we see one with a machete is getting ready to attack the German guy. And the hammer carries him away. And he goes, arg! And then we see that uh, there's um, 
you know, the the, uh, the terrorists or whatever have have approached uh, tents where the, the local villagers are, are trying to get away. And it looks like they're going to kill them all. And then there's a choom as they start firing, but uh, they all the bullets are stopped and Thor is standing there and the the terrorists are like what? And they can see that Thor is not being harmed by the bullets that they're they're shooting at him. And uh, you see the people still running away, and Thor's yeah, obviously he's there to, to let them get away, and they are getting away. And we see a bunch of uh, shells, bullets, just kind of flattened and falling to the ground. And then Thor calls his hammer to his hand, and he says, my turn now. And he whips his hammer at these guys, knocks them all aside, and... Um, we cut to our uh, three guards, and they're up in the uh, on the hill, and they are being attacked by a big group of of these uh, Nagare. And the one guy's like, "I'm out. Me too. Me three, Says the German. "Fine. Come on, then, you murdering bastards. Let's dance." And they, and all of a sudden, uh, they stop, and they just are in their tracks and the German is like well what's wrong it's just three of us against all of you see you just got to stand your ground with killers I and then the British guy's like I don't think it was you mate and they turn around and Thor is standing behind them and he's like oh I have a question says Thor to the three anything you want says Leo the three of you signed on at the same time, despite being in different parts of the world. You've served together ever since. That's right. And each of you by chance requested this particular assignment. That's right. We all asked for a Mimi Mungu. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Oh, Mimi Mungu. What does that mean? Lightning God, says the Brit. It would seem... It would seem that even for the gods there is no such thing as coincidence, nor that I should ever fail to perceive your souls, your bravery, or your hearts. Do not move. And he starts whipping his hammer around. We get a rumble. We get a big giant storm, a big cyclone. This reminds me very much of what happened the last issue in Oklahoma, doesn't it? Anyway, uh, lots of lightning shooting around, lots of, uh, of clouds, and the people were just standing there just kind of staring at it in, in wonderment. And uh, apparently it doesn't take three days like it did last time, and we have uh, the, the storm clears up. It is done, says Thor, and we reveal... The Warriors Three, as they are returning from non-existence. Fandral, Fulstog, Hogan. Welcome home, the Warriors Three. Beautiful page here. Just a, a beautiful illustration of the three of them. Very distinctive uh, Koipel style. I really, really like this page. This is a page I would definitely want to own. And they got kind of gather around Thor, and, and uh, Fandral is, is greeting Thor warmly, and Volstagg is just standing there with his arms crossed, uh, as is Hogan. Cheered though I am, we have no time to celebrate, says Thor. The enemy is retreating. If we hurry, we can... No, there comes the voice, and it turns out it's Dr. LaRue. He seems like he's more or less okay, even though it looks like he's a little bit bloodied and, and torn up by the explosion. 
And he has a couple of uh, people with him. One is a, uh, an old man with a, a staff, like a, like a tribal elder. And the other one is uh, like a security guard for the old man. This is Ibo Abwa, leader of the Mangidu tribe. Most of his people came here for safety. There is no purpose to be served by pursuing them. The day has been won, and that is enough. But will they not return another day, says Thor? Almost certainly. And if you kill them all, their brothers and fathers will come another day, even more determined. And if you kill them all, then we commit the same genocide we are trying to escape ourselves. But there must be something strong arms can do, says Volstagg. Strong arms, perhaps, but not white arms. Um, Africa's problem must be solved by Africa. It cannot be solved from the outside, not especially by white men. Not men, gods, says Hogan. In Africa, anyone with the power of life and death is a god, says the old man. We must think our way out of this, and we must feel our way out of this. I do not believe there is a way to fight our way out of this. For this, we hope the other nations will find ways to keep us apart until we can find ways to live together. Then there we may yet be evade, says Thor. Show me the area that lies between your peoples. And they walk up to like a giant hilltop and you see this big valley kind of stretching out below. And the old man is like, there to the west is where most of my people have gathered. On this side to the west are the Nigari. Thank you, says Thor. Stand behind me and no power on earth can harm you. And he pulls his hammer out and he raises it up and there's kind of lightning striking all around him. Born I was a god of thunder, son of Odin, but also a son of the earth, a child of the elder goddess Gaia. Only recently I learned this, and rarely have I invoked that power or spoken with that voice. Now let that voice be heard. And he takes the hammer and he slams it down. There's a, just a giant scrack. Doom! And a giant canyon emerges. Kind of just, the, the earth is just split apart. Which you would think that that would cause a lot of damage all around. But okay, I'll, we'll accept that. It was the most amazing thing I have ever seen, says the elder. Uh, and he's telling his story to, uh, obviously, to other people later. The chasm stretches clear across this entire region. Because the Nagare do not have planes of their own, they will have to build bridges to come to us now, or go through other regions that will not welcome them. He said, You now have time, use it wisely. And then he was gone. Wherever he has gone, he and those like him, I wish them well, I wish them happiness. And we shift back to Asgard. Uh, floating above Oklahoma, we see Heimdall standing on top of a building, just kind of keeping watch, as Heimdall does. And uh, Thor and the Warriors 3 are below, and they're all talking amongst themselves. It is Asgard, yes, says Fandral, but bereft of life, of soul, so quiet. We four are all you've found so far, asks Hogan. Yes, says Thor. There must be someone who can cook a meal around here. I had no idea how being dead could give one such an appetite. My lord Thor, I have known you all my life, and I sense in you and how we were restored a caution I have not known before. I could never hide much from you, Hogan. Nor from you, Heimdall, and Heimdall is coming down to join the rest of the group. But one who sees into the nine worlds, my lord, penetrating the heart's veil is no great trial. 
You are moving slowly, warily, in order to awaken only those you wish to awaken, not others, such as, No, my friend, we shall not speak their names in this place. So they do not echo in stone we wish to remake for happier days in future. Your concern is correct, Hogan, and your analysis true, Heimdall, and your suggestion unspoken also true. We cannot delay in the search for our fallen friends. We do not know what may happen to an Asgardian if his human host dies. To lose them again would be too great an injustice. You who can see so much, can you speed up my quest, Heimdall? Can you lead me to the Asgardians faster than fate has carried me so far? I can, my lord, says Heimdall. I can. And his eyes are kind of glowing as he stares off into the distance. And we have a to be continued. And that is the Mighty Thor number four. And we will be talking all about that right after this message. Tell me his name again. Thanos. I think I shall call him... Adam. But return to me again empty-handed, and I will bathe the starways in your blood. Thanks, Dad. Sounds fair. Korvac's power grows, as does his madness. He would have destroyed us all, had I not pulled us into the Soul Gem. Thanos, I'm coming for you. After Xandar, you are going to kill my father? You dare to oppose me? You see what he has turned me into? You kill him, I will help you destroy a thousand planets. It's all right, Adam. We're here to help. Just stay cool. Ugh! I don't want to be here! Resurrections. An Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Five years and going strong. Every other week. Mostly. For all of your Adam Warlock, Thanos, or Marvel Cosmic needs. Find it on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are available. ResurrectionsAdamWarlock.tumblr.com Adam Warlock. You cannot keep leaving your philosophy books open on the floor. I always trip on them in the middle of the night on my way to the can. And we're back with a few comments about the issue, as we always have. Another beautiful issue here. We're going to talk about the art first, because I have less to say about the art than I do about the story. But again, Koi uh, Paul turning in a fantastic job here. Um, there, there are some, some quirks about the way he has been portraying Thor in this series, and Thor has become more stylized in this issue as opposed to the other characters. This kind of leonine, uh, this face that he has, the sort of lion's face that, that we now see Thor have. I think it looks like a lion's face, but basically he just has this like flat front of his face <laughs> and it looks like a cat's face um and i i understand that it's it's sort of the stylistic uh, view the other characters don't look like this so i've got to think that this is how koipel is is specifically portraying thor in this way this is how he wants thor to look i think that this is a magnificently drawn issue magnificently inked issue magnificently colored issue that there's there's so much good to talk about in this issue the wonkiness of thor's face is just something i'm just going to have to get used to because i know that it persists and 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 sticks around for a good while but 
you know, that's what happens. You get you get a new artist, especially as, as an artist as good as Koipel, and and he puts his own unique stamp on the character, and that's to be expected. Um, now, writing wise, I think the story is a little bit preachy and one sided. The you know, it's hard to take a, a, as complex an issue as it is of the you know intertribal fighting in Africa and boil it down to bad guys, good guys. It, that's really hard to do because I don't think that it's that simple. And I think that, that the story portrays this in a very simplistic way. Now, obviously, he's not using real tribes. He's using you know, Marvel made-up tribes you know, to, to kind of stand in for the good tribes, bad tribes thing. But, of course, the ambiguity of, of, of real life is lost here. And I do get it. It's a comic book. You have to have you know, readily defined good and evil and, and in a way that we really don't always have in the real world. And so it is, obviously there are very complex issues tied up with this, including you know, colonialism. And that's even addressed in the story a little bit. But colonialism and also you know, the fact that there's no such thing as an evil tribe. You know, it, that's all like fear of the other and that, that everybody has their own viewpoints. Everybody has their own interests that they work for. And, and real life is complex. And you can't always portray complexity in you know, a 25-page comic. I mean, that's just not something that, that you can always do. And maybe nor should you try. You know, that, that's something that's, that's better portrayed in, in other media. But anyway, I do think it's a well-told story, if a little bit preachy. And, of course, the art is phenomenal. And uh, this particular full-page splash of the Warriors 3 after they've been resurrected is amazing. All right. And with that, it is time to wrap up the show for this week. Once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. We appreciate all of your uh, referrals and your reviews and uh, people hanging out on the Facebook page, just having a good time. Really do appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to email the show, you can do so. The email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. I don't check it absolutely every day, but we don't get a lot of mail either. And with that... I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast, and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>